When I mention the phrase to you, praying in the Spirit, what comes to mind? Like, what's the first thing that popped in your mind when I said we're going to be talking about praying in the Spirit? For some, talking about praying in the Spirit kind of conjures up some ecstatic moments of prayer or very emotive and expressive times of of prayer where we really maybe felt something. Or maybe we were in a Pentecostal service, right? And, and the pastor or one of the leaders says, pray in the Spirit, and people start praying in tongues. But when we talk about praying in the Spirit, sometimes that comes to mind. I, I come from a Pentecostal background, and it was, you know, pray in the Spirit, and all of a sudden, you know, was going nuts in there. And, and, and some of the sisters started, you know, shaking their head, and their head started spinning around. If you think that's nuts, it is. It's crazy. We're not going to do that, so don't get scared, okay? So when I mention that, we might all be thinking about different things. But here's the thing. It's God's word that exhorts us to pray in the Spirit. In fact, in Jude's letter, that's exactly what he tells us in Jude one twenty to pray in the Holy Spirit. He says, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? And Paul, as he concludes his teaching on the armor of God and instructs us to be strong in the Lord and the power is mine and to put on the full armor of God, concludes his teaching on the armor of God by saying, hey, but guess what you need to do? You need to pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit. So it seems to me, since God's Word commands us and exhorts us to do that, that if we want our prayers to be effective... If we want God to hear our prayers and we want God to answer our prayer, then this seems to be like a very important key to prayer, this praying in the Spirit. But what is that? If we want to be a praying people, a praying church, then it's paramount that we are people praying in the Spirit as God's Word instructs us to be. So what on earth is that? And more importantly, I guess, is how do we do that? So if you have that question today, we're going to unpack that a little bit. Now, this cannot be an exhaustive teaching on the subject. There is a lot more to say on it, but I want to give you at least a primer, an understanding of what Paul and Jude are instructing us here under the inspiration of the Spirit that we are to be people praying in the Spirit. And I want us to understand what it is to pray in the Spirit, not by our own subjective, private, personal experience of what we think might be praying in the Spirit or something that we attribute to the Holy Spirit, and not even from whatever our church background or denomination teaches as a result of this subject. As you know, all we care about is, what does God's Word have to say about this? And the tradition of the church may indeed line up with what God's Word says, but ultimately, our highest standard on any subject, on any doctrine, is going to be the Word of God. So if you're in the 8th chapter of Romans, we're going to read verses 26 and 27. Hear the words of the living God. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for As we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. 
because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. I want us to look at something really interesting in that first verse, verse 26. Because Paul, in this great chapter here in Romans, tells us that you and I have a debilitating condition. You and I have a weakness. Now, he's not talking about physical strength here or physical weakness here. He's saying we have a limitation. And that limitation is in the area of our prayer. You and I are weak in that you and I do not know what to pray for as we should. Now, notice he doesn't say we don't know how to pray or the fact that we do pray for things, okay? It's not a lack of content in our prayer. In fact, you might have a prayer list you go through every day or things we routinely pray about, requests that people have uh, given to us, and we filter through those each day, and we pray through specific things that we like to pray, or if, if so-and-so is sick, or so-and-so has a need, right? We're, we're praying for things. We're praying for family members uh, to come to faith in Christ. We're praying for uh, conflicts and relationships and all sorts of things that you and I might be praying for. It's not a lack of content that Paul writes here is a weakness that you and I have. It's not that we don't know what we are praying for. It's that we don't know if what we're praying for is what we should be praying for. That's our weakness. Now, who's writing this? It's Paul, the the, the great and mighty apostle of the Lord. And I think if there's anyone who knew how to pray or anyone who would know what to pray for as he should, it would be Paul. But he says that, that we all share in this particular weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we should. Why is that? Well, it's very simple, isn't it? You and I are not God. If you think you're God, let me know. We'll talk about that afterwards, right? But you and I are not God, okay? You and I have a limited perspective on things. You and I have a lack of vision. We are short-sighted. You and I, when we pray, we tend to pray for things, and you might not think this way or not, but many times our prayer is selfishly motivated when we certainly of our own do not know how to pray according to the will of God. That's why most of our prayers are about how things should work out in a way that we think is most advantageous for us. When you pray for yourself, when you pray for others, our prayers are generally that we would have the good life. Right? That, that all the bills would be paid. That if anyone's sick, that they would be immediately healed. We, we pray for our, our job promotion or some advance uh, in life or that things would go smoothly or that there would be no relational conflicts or that your spouse won't yell at you or that you won't yell at your spouse or everything will be good with them, Right? We generally pray about getting the things that you and I think we want or the things that you and I need. That usually forms the majority of the content of our prayer. And I will readily admit that forms much of the content of my prayer. Like I want things to be good. 
But that good is according to what I think is good for me. And I pray for the good of others, generally thinking about the things that would be good for them according to my human perspective. But it's a weakness. Because I don't know God's will, his general purposes necessarily in all things. Let me ask you a question. How would you pray for Joseph in the Old Testament? If you knew that his brothers were really jealous about him and his, his, his brothers were concocting this plan to disappear him, how would you pray for him? Well, I'd be praying for their plan to be exposed. I would be praying that if they did capture him, that he would be set free, he'd be rescued, that his father would discover the plan and, and, and discipline his brothers. Isn't that how we would pray? If, if you were one of Jesus' disciples... And you were standing off at a distance, watching him in agony and suffering on the cross. What would you pray for? Well, I'd be praying, God, send an angel army to deliver him from that cross. To end his suffering, to ease his suffering. And certainly, if I was around in the time of Saul, as as he was persecuting the church and imprisoning Christians, right? what, What would I be praying for? I'd be praying for God to kill Saul, wouldn't you? I'd want the, 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 the persecution to stop. This is how you and I would pray. Yet we know that God had greater purposes in all of those things. He had a greater purpose in Joseph's suffering. He had a greater purpose in, in Jesus' death. And he even had a greater purpose in Saul's murderous rage against the church and persecution of the church. No, we pray with selfish motivations. We pray from a very human perspective. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for those things. But you see, our our sight, our vision is so limited. Our prayers are always limited by our finite thinking, our finite reasoning and knowledge. Our prayers are certainly limited by our lack of understanding of God's greater purposes. Again, because he's God and we're not. He's all sovereign and we are not. He's all knowing and we are not. What does this show me? It tells me that the kind of prayer that we should be praying is not just one that has been solely filtered through our human reasoning our imagination, our thought process. Because this is how we we pray. We have a mind. God has given us a mind. But it's limited. And we need to pray acknowledging that and recognizing that. That prayer is not just a mere human exercise. It's not just going through a list of prayer requests and, and then praying for responses that are humanly devised. We have a weakness God's word tells us that. Because of that weakness, it is impossible for us to pray for the things we should be praying for. And on our own, we certainly do not pray for the things that accord with the will of God, which is how we are instructed to pray. That's a huge problem, isn't it? I mean, last week, didn't we just talk about Jesus' instruction to his disciples? He said, ask anything in my name, and I will do it. Ask anything in my name, and I will do it. 
And we talked about what it meant to pray in the name of Jesus. It's not just a little magic formula we tag at the end of our prayer. It's not a spell. It's not an incantation, right? To pray in the name of Jesus is to pray in a way that's consistent with his character. Something that conforms with Christ's purposes. Well, then how can we know if what we're praying for actually accomplishes that? We also shared out of John chapter five, uh, 1 John chapter 5. There, John writes that the kind of prayer that God hears and the kind of prayer that God responds to and answers is one that is asked in accordance with his will. How can we know that what we're praying for aligns with the word of God and is according to the will of God? How do we know how to pray for things as we should? Well, praise God, what we just read in this passage is good news. We don't need to despair, right? We don't need to throw our hands up in the air and think that, well, why bother with prayer if I don't know what to pray for as I should? Because Paul tells us there's a remedy here. There's something so profoundly glorious. Paul writes and here and he tells us that we have divine assistance in prayer. We are helped. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Our weakness isn't gone, but we have divine assistance in our weakness. Now, what does he mean by likewise? That word likewise is a conjunction, right? It's, it's linking this phrase that Paul is talking about here, the Spirit helping us in our weakness, with something that has come before that. You could read it this way. In the same way or in similar manner, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is why it's important to read something in context. This verse is not divorced from everything that came before it or everything that comes after it. It has a place in it. So in context, he's referring to how the Spirit helps us in our weakness through his intercession for the saints of God. That's us. I hope that's getting burned in you through our reading in the 21 days of prayer, right? That we are saints. That we're that now, okay? So he's talking about us who are in Christ Jesus, right? So he's referring to how the Spirit helps us in our weakness through his intercession for us. And he writes that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What does that mean? Groaning too deep for words. Your spouse might groan, but we call that snoring, okay? Or snorting. I don't know. One other thing. That's not what he's talking about here. What is this groaning? Because that's kind of a weird verb to throw in there. He's, the groaning's too deep for word. Now, this is not the first time in this chapter that Paul refers to something or someone groaning. This is actually the third time. In verse 19 through 22, Paul writes that. All of creation, the whole of creation is groaning like a mother in the, in the pains of childbirth and the pangs of childbirth. Creation is groaning. Why? Well, creation is groaning because it's broken. Because of man's sin and rebellion, creation is fractured. Creation is not as God intended it for it to be. There's death. There's decay. And creation is suffering under the weight of all of that, but is groaning in anticipation for what is to come. 
that there will be a day when all that is wrong with this world will be made right. That God promises and purposes to make all things new. That's the first groaning he's talking about here. Now, have you been around a woman in labor? Her cries, right, the cries of a mother in labor are pretty intense. Those of you who have given birth know that it's a painful thing. No, no guy here can say that. I know men think that we have more pain than women, you know, when we stub our toe. We're like, oh, that's like you giving birth. I'm pretty sure it's not. I'm pretty sure it's not. And I won't, I won't make that claim either, okay? But the cries of a woman in childbirth. I remember when Arielle was born, we were in the, before she was born, we were in the hospital, and I could hear in the far off, I was like, who's being murdered out there, man? But just the cries, right, the anguish of childbirth, the pain of childbirth. And there's something about the, the, the way creation is groaning that is similar to that. But you know that a woman is not just crying because of pain. There's also the groaning, the anticipation, right, the, the urgency, the eagerness, the fervency about what is to come. The joy of then being able to hold her child. This is the picture that Paul is talking about here in this aspect of groaning. So kind of hold that in your mind. And then in verse 23, he writes that believers also groan inwardly. What are they groaning about? What is is the pangs of childbirth that they're kind of experiencing? Well, it is, he says here, as we await the redemption of our bodies. Don't we all await the redemption of our bodies? Our bodies are jacked up. Our bodies are broken. If the Lord tarries, you and I are going to die. We experience death. But we know the promises of God in Christ that one day we will too experience a resurrection from the dead. We have spiritually. That's the already, but there's a not yet reality to this. God promises that he's going to make all things new. That There will be a new heaven and a new earth. One in which there will no longer be any suffering. One in which you and I will no longer suffer the ravaging effects of of sickness and affliction and illness. And certainly no more death. So Paul writes, believers are also groaning inwardly. And just like a mother anticipates the coming of her baby, well, we're anticipating the time where our suffering comes to an end in the glories of the world to come. But then, surprisingly, Paul writes that the Spirit also groans, interceding for the children of God. Right? Interceding. What is that all about? What's he interceding for? Why is he groaning? Well, if a woman has fervency and urgency and anticipation and expectation, what's this about the Spirit doing that? What's the point he's trying to make here? I think it's simply this. That the Spirit intercedes for us with a fervency, with an urgency like that of a mother who cries out in childbirth for the new life to come. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes... It is hard to pray, not just because of our weakness and, and we know that we have a limitation. We just don't really don't even know what to say sometimes. There's sometimes we're pretty fluent in prayer and we can kind of come up with things to pray about. But have you ever gone through something where like there are no words? I don't even know how to pray. 
I certainly don't have urgency to pray sometimes. But Paul says that the Spirit is interceding for us with groans too deep for words like that of a mother who cries out for childbirth. Within what is inexpressible to us because of our weakness or our limitation, the Spirit cries out before the throne of grace for the Father to work out all things according to His eternal purposes and for our eternal good. This is what he says right after this passage. Verse 28 and 29. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So we have the Spirit interceding for us. And then he writes, and we know all things work together for the good of those who are called according to His purpose. And then he tells us what that good is. That we are being sanctified. You and I are being conformed more and more to the image of Christ. To be like Christ. So the Spirit intercedes for us with this fervency and urgency like a mother in childbirth interceding according to the will of God so that God's purposes to form Christ in us come to pass. And praise God for that. Because apart from that intercession of the Spirit, that would not happen in our lives. Now, I've been talking here in our series, right? We can know some things about the will of God. And where do we find that? That's not wasn't a trick question. It's in God's word, right? It's, that's, we don't know God's will apart from His word. He's, he's revealed things to us, and we know that His word tells us some things that are His will. First Thessalonians five thirteen. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. At the end of that passage, He says that's why He has given the Holy Spirit to us. God is working out His purposes in us. This is part of our redemption. It's not just a get-out-of-hell pass. It's not just a fire escape insurance policy. He is working in us to make us holy, to make us like Jesus. And it's the Spirit who brings that about in us. And this is what is so astounding to me, and actually it humbles me to the ground to even consider this. What Paul writes here, the glorious third person of the triune Godhead is interceding for me and for you with a fervor and urgency that I so often lack in prayer. When I pray, I'm often distracted. I start to pray and I, I start to get sleepy. And I know I'm the only one. Nobody ever here has fallen asleep praying. <laughs> I, I start praying and I start thinking of the millions of things I got to do. And I know there's a deep need and someone's asking me to pray for something and I maybe just lob up, lob up something to God there and kind of hope he heard that. Our prayers are lifeless and weak with little fervor, little urgency, little effort. You know, we think of the disciples, right? In the night of Jesus' passion, he's going to pray because of what's to come, and his soul is exceedingly troubled and heavy. And he brings his three boys along with him. And he says, okay, guys, stay here, watch and pray. And what do they do? Well, Jesus is, is weeping in anguish. They're snoring. They're, they're groaning, but not this groaning, snoring. And we look at it and go, man, if we were the disciples, we'd never do that. 
Jesus asked us to pray with him. Now nah, we'd be doing the same thing. That's, that's us. But this is so amazing. Because God knows that about us, doesn't he? He just said, we're weak. We have a weakness. We have a limitation. But we're not hopeless in this. Because my weak, feeble prayers offered in faith, again, from my limited human perspective, that offered in Jesus' name, are met with the Spirit's strong pleas on my behalf. And where I lack fervor and urgency, the Spirit has fervor and urgency with groans that are far deeper than I can express in my own human ability and language. And He takes my prayers and presents them before the throne of grace according to the will of God. And there's an answer from heaven. Our struggle to know what to pray for as we should is met with the gracious provision of the Holy Spirit interceding for us with divine assistance. If we want to even begin to understand what praying in the Spirit is, we have to understand His role in all of this. His intercession for us. While we struggle to pray according to the will of God, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us according to the will of God. Do you know why he can do that? Because he's God. Yes. Who knows the mind of God? The Spirit of God. Who knows what's in the heart of God? But the Spirit of God. He's God. He's God. This is so amazing. Last week I said we never have to worry about praying in the will of God when we're praying according to the word of God. And that's true. This is where we come to know things about the will of God through his word. That's why we want to pray the word of God. That's how we can have confidence and assurance in prayer. You should always pray or you should endeavor to always pray with an open Bible in front of you. Praying the scripture. That's what Eric modeled for us here earlier through our passage in Ephesians. That's what we're doing through our 21 days of prayer. Praying through the scripture and God's word. But it's not enough. It's not enough. Because you and I cannot truly understand the revealed truth in God's word apart from the spirit of God revealing it to us. This is why people can read the Bible and never come away changed. This is why people can read God's word and not understand anything in God's word. Well, that doesn't even make any sense. Because these aren't just mere human words from a human author. And for sure we know the spirit of God used human authors. But this is the word of God. And for us to understand it, we need the spirit of God. To reveal it to us, to teach it to us, to show it to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes about this in 9 through 12. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through what? Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, 
that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Isn't that awesome? The Spirit reveals to us the things freely given to us by God, the things that God has promised us in Christ Jesus. What God has in store for us, Paul writes here, we can't even imagine how glorious those things are. This comes back to our limitation. Whatever the most awesome thing you can think about for your life that would be the ultimate good pales in comparison to what God has for us in Christ Jesus and what he's prepared for those who love him. But we can know some of these things through the Spirit. The Spirit knows God's thoughts, God's desires, God's will, God's purposes because he is God. And he writes here that we've received his Spirit. So that we can discern, so that we can understand, we can know these things freely given to us by God, by the Spirit of God. And Paul prays for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1, that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. Again, full recognition and confession that apart from the Spirit, you and I would not know. We would not have the knowledge of God, certainly not the knowledge of God concerning salvation and the knowledge of God on how to live for God, to please God and to approach Him by faith in Jesus Christ. He also prays for the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1 that they would be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So how do we get spiritual wisdom and understanding in the knowledge of His will? Well, we don't have it apart from the Spirit of God. We won't have it apart from the Spirit of God revealing those things to you and to me. Now, Jesus himself promised that he would send the Spirit. John 14 through 16. The the enormous words of comfort Jesus gives to his disciples. He had just told them that he's about to depart. He's leaving. He's no longer going to be with them. But they're not helpless. They really are not alone because he, in his departure, is now going to send the Holy Spirit. And he calls the helper, their comforter. And he writes, and he says to his disciples there that in sending the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit then would be with them and be within them, in them, and dwell them to what end? To teach and reveal to us all that God has for us in Christ. He said the Spirit of God, calls him the Spirit of truth, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance everything that I have taught you. Without the Spirit, we cannot know Christ. Without the Spirit, we cannot have the things of Christ. And without the Spirit, we cannot pray according to the will of God. Now, praying in the Spirit, what is that? Let's kind of begin to define that for us. And I'm going to be wrapping up soon. Because we're going to do again what we did last week. We're not just going to teach about prayer and talk about prayer. We're going to get to praying. All right? So be ready for that. And now that I've said that, you cannot leave. Those of you who thought you were going to bolt for the door, you're not now. Because we're going to call you out. What is praying in the Spirit? Praying in the Spirit is prayer motivated by a practical reliance on the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us according to the will of God. 
Praying in the Spirit is prayer that relies on the divine power, presence, and guidance of the Holy Spirit rather than our own human reasoning, strategies, innovations, and intellect. When we pray in the Spirit, we are trusting that the Spirit is doing exactly what this passage tells us He's doing. He is interceding for us. When we pray in the Spirit, we are depending on Him, being sensitive to Him, allowing Him to guide our prayer in which He will prompt us and suggest things to us in prayer that are in God's heart because He knows what is in God's heart because He's God. Praying in the Spirit, let's demystify this thing. It's not about some emotional experience in prayer. You may have that. I am moved deeply in prayer sometimes, but I'm not always feeling an emotion of that in prayer, and neither are you. Does that mean we're praying in the Spirit or not praying in the Spirit? Well, that's a subjective thing. This is an objective reality. He says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. How? By interceding for us according to the will of God. So praying in the Spirit is that. My dependence on the Spirit to intercede for me according to the will of God where I cannot. The Spirit will pray within us in perfect harmony with the will of the Father. When we pray in the Spirit and pray God's Word, the Holy Spirit gives us insight and understanding. He ignites our heart with God's truth and wisdom in our prayer life so that we're praying things that align with the will and word of God. Praying in the Spirit is virtually opposite of how we often pray. Again, we pray with our limited knowledge thinking, thinking that we know what is best for us. We pray with our human reasoning as to what we think is a good outcome to a situation. And we pray, frankly, brothers and sisters, like we have everything figured out. This is the outcome that should be. That's the opposite of praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is not hauling off in a prayer language. It's not praying in tongues. Now, I know there's a passage in Corinthians Right? That's in the context of praying in tongues in the corporate gathering of the church at Corinth. This is something different that Paul writes about there. He says, I pray with my mind and I pray with the spirit. That is, that is different and I don't really have time to go into that because we're going to get to prayer here in a moment. The commands to pray in the spirit and what Paul writes here in Romans chapter 8 is what I'm talking to you about right now. It is a reliance, it is a dependence on the Spirit's intercession for us according to the will of God. Praying in the Spirit is confessing our utter dependence on Him and on His wisdom. Because we don't have it all figured out. See, praying in the Spirit frees me to not pray like I have it figured out. Praying in the Spirit lifts a burden off of me from having to to say the right words in prayer. How often do we think, that, well, in order for God to hear my prayer, I better kind of have the right formulation to my prayer. Or that it needs to be articulate and eloquent. Now, praying in the Spirit is not about those things. It's not about the things that I do to make sure that my prayer is heard 
by the Father. Praying in the Spirit is saying, Holy Spirit, I have a weakness. I have a limitation and I recognize that. But I completely depend upon you to take my prayer, to shape it, to mold it and conform it such that it accords with the will of God. And when it comes to the throne of grace and before the throne of grace, it is just that. According to the will of God, it is heard and God hears from heaven and answers our prayer. It's trusting in the spirit of God to do that. That he'll take our prayer and match it to God's desired outcome. So I'm not praying like I have it figured out. God, if I get out of this situation, that really is my ultimate good when I full well know that God may, be, may have placed me into that situation because he's doing something in me. He's working something out in me. I have a situation recently that I was walking through over these past few weeks. And I was getting angry about this thing. And I kept praying for God to fix this situation. Because I said, this is what needs to happen so I don't get angry anymore. This is what needs to happen because that's the right outcome. And I want to tell you, there was a moment where it became crystal clear to me that God was allowing this situation because he was doing something in my heart. And he was exposing something in my heart. I was sharing with Eric at breakfast on Friday about this. God was exposing. Like I was like, why am I getting so angry about this? Why am I getting so worked about this? That it's just like distracting me so much. And God's like, hey, there's something right there in your heart that needs sanctification. And I only learned that when I surrendered to the Holy Spirit and saying, Holy Spirit, you know, I don't. I think this is what should happen, but you have some other purpose in this. And only then, like, it's like a peace flood in my heart. I, I can't even explain it other than I know it was the Holy Spirit of God. Because we're praying like we think we got it figured out, and we don't. And when I say, when, I, when I'm praying the Spirit, I'm saying, Holy Spirit, you intercede according to the will of God. I think I'm interceding according to the will of God. I think I'm asking according to the will of God. But I don't always know what to pray for as I should, as Paul writes there. But the Holy Spirit does. And praise God for that. It's a comfort to know that praying in the Spirit is that the Holy Spirit will take our fallible, frail, feeble prayers that are offered in faith and offered in Jesus' name to accomplish God's good and perfect will. He takes them and molds them. You and I, guess what we do? We just kind of vomit our prayer to God. It ain't pretty. doesn't have to be. And then he takes that and he shapes that for his glory and our ultimate good. How can you begin praying in the spirit? Well, first, pray believing in God's gracious provision of divine assistance through the spirit's intercession for you. Believe that. Pray believing that. God, your word says That I have a weakness and I recognize that weakness. So Holy Spirit, I'm depending on you. I'm trusting in your intercession for me according to the will of God. God's promise is that we're being helped in our weakness. And we can pray in the Spirit believing that he is shaping our prayer according to God's will and his glory. Ask for the Spirit's guidance in prayer. 
Ask for it. Like, just say it. Holy Spirit, I need your help. I need your direction in praying. I don't know what to pray for as I should. Teach me. Show me. With the Bible open, show me what to pray for as I should because I don't know. Ask for spiritual wisdom and understanding. As you open the scripture and pray his word, pray in the spirit with confidence, relying on the Holy Spirit to take your weak prayers and mightily transform them to alter and transform things in your life for his glory so that all things work together for good for those who have been called according to his purpose.